0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 243 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Uri Goldstein. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself, Uri?
1: Uh, Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Uri, uh, and I work at the Meteor Development Group on the Apollo team, and we build uh, tools for uh, GraphQL, using GraphQL on the client or the server. Um,
0: yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you were on the Apollo team, because I kept thinking, yeah, after we cover GraphQL, we should talk about Apollo with somebody. So we'll just <laughs> we'll just wrap it all <laughs> in. It'll all be good.
1: Yeah, yeah, we can talk about Apollo, about GraphQL. We can talk also about video. We can talk about Angular. <laughs>
0: nice. Well, we, we had an episode on GraphQL quite a while ago. It was probably like two years ago, so... Do you want to kind of refresh our memories for some of us that, um, you know, listened to the episode and we've kind of dabbled with it then and then maybe haven't done anything with it since then?
1: Uh, yeah, so in very, like, uh, high level, um, GraphQL is is uh, it's like a query language for your API. So basically, um, it's just an API specification. So you can query different server or, you know, from the client to the server or from server to server, um, kind of like REST, right? It's it's kind of the equivalent of REST, Um, but it's a query language, so uh, instead of just calling an endpoint, um, you query data. So the endpoint tells you what data it can provide to you, and then you as a client, just specify the actual fields that you want to get, and you get exactly those fields back. Um, But when you say, like, when you say, oh, it's a a query language, then people think about SQL or think about database. Here it's just an API. So you can query a a server, you can query a database, you can query any, any, in any language, like whether it's Ruby, .NET, JavaScript, just like rest basically
0: right and uh if i remember right the the graphql uh query language looks a whole lot like uh javascript objects
1: yeah yes it's um i I mean there's more into the language than just like a json objects but um it's very similar to a json uh, object and the nice thing is that uh, when you query this like kind of object which has the same structure, you get back um, a JSON object that looks exactly like uh, your query. So, um, for example, if you're like a, a client developer and you want to get your data in a specific structure, um, you can just ask for it with that structure and you get exactly that structure back. You don't need to do like, I don't know, complicated joins on the client and handle a lot of like things like
0: that. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that really drew me to it is visually, if you look at what you're yeah. sending in your query and you're looking at the objects you're getting back, it's <laughs> it's very approachable, and it's, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you, you tell it, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, this structure from these objects, maybe with these values or values like these values, and you get that exact same structure back. You get exactly what you asked for, and you get... Um, you can get collections, you can get just one object, and it really just comes down to how you ask and what you ask for.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, uh, I uh, if people are listening right now and they're in front of a computer, I would go to just, like, the website, like, graphkill.org, and you just visually, like, look at this thing, and it's just, like you said, it's visually simple. You understand exactly what's happening. Um, yeah.
2: We kind of talked about it Slightly, but just to kind of clarify it more, like what are the problems with REST? Why was this created for people who aren't familiar with it, too?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, because, uh, like the the best way to, uh, like to to, to explain about GraphQL, or one of the best ways is actually to compare it to REST, which is like probably the most common way to query an API today. So, um, one thing is that, uh, you you um, Unlike REST, where the server, let's say, I'm talking client-server, but it can be any mm-hmm. two endpoints, um, let's say uh, um, with REST, let's say I want to query, uh, I don't know, data, like for example, a person uh, and, and its ID. So um, I'm querying that person with an ID, but then the server actually decides what, what are the fields that I'm going to get, right? Like, let's say I'm calling, uh, uh, I'm getting the person, and, and, and the implementation on the server decides that it's going to send me the name and the age. So I get the name and the age. And then three days later, somebody changes something on the server, and they decide that they're going to remove the age. So I used to get the age, now I'm not getting the age anymore. Or they added a bunch of other fields, right? Like, so you always, with REST, you get... Um, uh, the server is dependent on what you're going to get and not the client, which the client keeps changing all the time. And also, um, there's kind of, with REST, you have two options, right? Like, if you're a bit like, let's say, um, we're building like a really nice REST endpoints and we get a person and then we want the person's friends and, for each friend, we, got, we want to get, I don't know, the friend's name and age again. So with REST, I have two different options, and this, those t- two different options are always, um, those are always the problems that you get with REST. One option is that uh, you'll query the friends, you'll get a list of IDs of friends, and then for each of those friends, you'll query the information from them which means like, you'll have a few round trips um, back and forth, which uh, is expensive. Like, basically, the network today is maybe the most expensive thing uh, right now because you know all the front end frameworks and the native clients are super fast. Um, but then you can say, okay, well, I'm a really good server developer. I can actually build a new uh, endpoint which is specific to your client. Like, you want just this, you want to, to get it in this structure? Okay, I'll create a new endpoint and I will send you in this structure. But then what's happening is that, first of all, you, now you couple the client and the server, right? Now if I want to change something on the client, I have to change the same endpoint on the server. And everything that's happening right now is that we try to separate the client from the server, like the, the client developers could just keep on going and the server developers could just develop themselves and the integration will be easier. So I think with GraphQL, it's actually those two, um, you know, uh, those two options, you get the best of of them both. The server just specify, this is the schema, this is the information that I can give you. Um, And then the client just says, I want just those fields and I want it in this structure, like I want, let's say, I'm building kind of like, you can imagine a JSON object where I'm querying a person, and then inside one inside uh, level I'm querying his friends, and then one inside level I'm querying just the name and the age. And uh, first of all, it will be just one single response from the server, and also, uh, one single request for me, one single response from the server, And also I will get exactly the information that I want, not more fields or like I have the power as the client developer. Uh, It's a lot to talk about, but uh, there's basically uh, those are the main uh, differences.
0: Let's pause for a moment to talk about our sponsor, Taurus. Taurus is a new tool for managing and securing the secret information that allows your app to run. You know the stuff, passwords, API keys, database credentials, all the stuff that gives access to the private stuff that you don't want anybody to touch except for your application in a specific way. Corus provides a convenient way to store all this information in the cloud, and they can't access it because it's encrypted with material derived from your password, which is never transmitted to their server. So it's secured from them, from everybody else, but accessible to you. This means only the servers, development machines, and applications you've allowed can access the information. So make secrets management, headaches, a thing of the past, and check out Taurus today. You can find them at devchat.tv slash That's devchat.tv slash T-O-R-U-S. I, I just want to chime in and, and talk about a couple of those trade-offs real quick, and then I know Amy has another question. But I've, I've been faced with all of those things, where as the back-end guy on Ruby, I've had people come to me and say, hey, I need this other information from that endpoint, and so then I have to go in and I have, to, I have to fix it, and then they can put the change into the front end to expect it. And so where you're saying that the two are highly coupled, that's exactly true. And the other thing is is that, um, yeah, if they needed slightly different information, I'd have to create another endpoint. And with this, they can just run ahead, and as long as uh, they have the proper permission to get the information that they want, they can have it. And so they can move ahead and it's only when they need something specialized or we need to change the shape of the data some on the back end that the back end engineers really need to get involved. And that's that's the payoff that I see for GraphQL as opposed to REST. Um, But REST works great and um, a lot of systems do REST by default and so I can see why people just kind of go with that to start with and there's nothing wrong with that approach it's just once you start getting into some of these painful areas or these things start to become trade-offs on a regular basis uh, you know you should really have a look at graphql and think okay you know what if we did just have an endpoint and the other great thing is is that you can add a graphql endpoint to an otherwise rest system and just start having your new stuff use the graphql stuff and there's almost no trade-off unless you other than maintaining those uh, rest endpoints that you have so it's it's a really super cool system
2: I appreciate the, well, I was just going to say I appreciate you like bringing all that up because I feel like I've talked to quite a few developers outside of the JavaScript community and they just kind of kind of turn their nose up slightly um, you know but the JavaScript community is probably more willing to adopt newer technologies so I appreciate all the points you're making there Chuck yeah
1: I I mean, the interesting thing here about GraphQL is that, uh, like REST, like, one of the huge benefits of REST is that you don't care what technology the other side is using, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and with GraphQL, it's the same approach. So, um, you can, uh, not only there's, like, implementations for, like, any language, like, if you use .NET or if you use Java or Go, um, but... Also, you don't care. Like you don't. Uh, I'm as a client. I don't care what the other side is using. I'll just um, we agreed on the API, and that's it. and, um, and, and the, the interesting thing about it is that also that I haven't mentioned before is that the API is typed. So um, there's a lot of talk recently about like flow and TypeScript and why types are. Uh, like super important in your code, and and I completely agree. But I think um, when it gets to you, you are calling a different server or data source that you sometimes don't even have control over. Uh, you don't use types; you have no idea what you what you get back, and it could break any time, and it's usually not in your control. And with GraphQL, because each field is typed, then you know exactly what you're going to get, and there's not going to be, like, surprises when you get into this integration point and go into production, for example.
2: So the next question that I kind of wanted to ask about, so you talked about, you know, GraphQL is actually the query language, but um, what about setting up a GraphQL server? Can you talk about what goes into that?
1: There's Now a kind of approach that people in the GraphQL community calls GraphQL first. And that means that the first thing when you start, you're going to start writing a graphical application, where, whether it's you start from the server or the client, you start from the schema. The schema, like we said before, it's very easy to create. Like you can look at it as kind of like, let's say, a TypeScript uh, object definitions. So you just create like a, a hero, and then uh, the hero has a name and an age, and the name is a string, and the age is a number, and basically that's it this is the schema and then the schema also specifies uh the queries that you can do like get me all the heroes or get me a specific hero or update a hero or delete a hero like very simple schema and then that schema can be when you start writing the GraphQL server you have few options like one let's say the easiest option is let's say you start from scratch So then you just choose your language, and it can, so you just, you pick, if it's JavaScript, then you can use, uh, like there's Apollo tools, like GraphQL tools library, or GraphQL JS from Facebook, and um, the only thing you need to do is like, is to integrate the schema, and then fulfill um, a a thing called resolvers. Basically, that means that for each query, Um, and for each field you can just specify a function and the nice thing thing about it is that when you specify those functions those are just functions you can write anything you want there so it's very it's kind of like um, I would uh, let's say it's kind of like fulfilling rest endpoints but it's more defined. So you know exactly what you need to get back, for example, a list of heroes. Um, And the GraphQL server automatically like verifies and do validations that you actually return the things that you need. But then because it's just an arbitrary function, uh, you you can just like, let's say if you have a database, you call your database. Let's say if you have an existing server, you can just call an existing REST endpoint get the data back and return it, and that's it. Um, or you can just like mock it, you know, because one of uh, there's a very cool library that basically because you have everything typed, you can just um, very easily without doing anything, specify the schema and then just call like a data generator library that with one line of code, you can basically create a server that will just randomly return information that looks very real, because for age, you'll get a number, and for name, you get a string. Um, And This is just with one line of code. So, writing GraphQL servers um, basically means that you just need to specify a schema, and then you need to to just uh, create functions, however you like, that answers for, that those uh, functions like return values that are very well defined, like a name of a person, or all the information of a person, or an age of a person. So yeah, and, and, and there's like libraries that help you in any language, uh, really any language, so.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, if anything for me has changed over the last few years with regards to GraphQL, it's that there are more stable backend libraries that you can use. I mean, back when I first looked at it, because people were talking about it, you really could only set it up on Node.js using whatever Facebook had put out. And now there are a lot more options in a lot more languages. I know there's a stable implementation. They're, they're saying they're still in beta, but there's a stable implementation in Ruby, which is my back-end language of choice. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I've seen it in a lot of other systems like you're talking about. And, yeah, essentially that's how you set it up, and, and it works great.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the important thing is here is that um, there's one point that we see a lot from like working with you know with customers and like y- users of our open source libraries is that um, one thing that's happening is in the industry uh, is that there's a shift towards a kind of like a microservice architecture, which means that you have instead of one like monolithic server, you have a lot of microservices that could be built with a lot of different languages. Um, and the interesting thing about GraphQL, the whole idea is that you have a schema, but because you can resolve each data point for what, like, uh, with whatever you want to do, so each, each field you can resolve with a different microservice. So with a lot of people like use GraphQL, actually, uh, to have it as kind of like your microservice orchestration level. Like you just start, let's say you have a monolithic uh, um, server, you just put a middleware of GraphQL on top of it, just querying the existing, I don't know, REST endpoints or however you use, uh, your server is using right now. And then you can slowly just break apart, you can slowly take just the, even in the field level, you can just take the age of the person and call a different microservice. And GraphQL will handle all, you know, all all those incoming requests for you to send just one single request to the client. So this is very powerful. Like the fact that you can use GraphQL on top of any language uh, and query a lot of different microservices and migrate slowly towards that.
0: Yep. So one thing that I'm wondering about, I'm going to change the subject just a little bit. You said you work for the Meteor Development Group, and I know mm-hmm. that they had their own kind of front-end to back-end coordination system that I think used WebSockets or something to do all the magic mm-hmm. in Meteor. And, and now, you know, you work on Apollo, and, the, you know, there's a whole lot of movement over in the Meteor land around GraphQL. So what
1: changed? So, um... This is a, this is a great question. I mean, Meteor is uh, when Meteor started was kind of like I don't know five years ago. Uh, the idea was to create a new platform, right? There's a lot. The JavaScript world was really a mess back back then. Like I think Bower was even like everyone was using something before Bower. Grant, you know, during those those five years, a lot of things have changed. Um, and also, Meteor realized back then that REST is just not enough for the for a modern client use case. And our, our, uh, the, the idea of Meteor was uh, in in, though, in this like, um, network layer was to create a new protocol, also an open source co- protocol can, that can be used by any, um, uh, by any uh, technology that's called DDP, which is also supports better, it also supports better real time. It may be the main use cases, cases like real time and RPC calls Um, but, uh, and and we wanted this protocol to be like very widespread in the community. And the fact is, it didn't happen. Like what's happening right now is that media developers use DDP. Some, you know, like, and and it's good for most media developers, but outside of the media, also media land, not a lot of people are using DDP. And after five years, we started thinking Okay, then what's the thing that we're gonna that we're doing best? And the thing that uh, we're doing best with Meteor is is the data layer, the data integration. It's so easy and great. But then, and, and what changed these five years? And the main thing I think that changed was that Facebook open sourced GraphQL. And when we looked at GraphQL, we said, okay, that's like very interesting. There's a lot of things in GraphQL that actually solves a lot of the problems in, uh, that current Meteor users have. So for example, um, the way, like with Meteor, it's kind of like awkward today to query other databases. And in GraphQL, you can query whatever data source you want. So instead of now shifting all of Meteor into GraphQL, we said, okay, let's uh, do it different than what, how we did Meteor. Instead of building this huge thing, Let's just start with the data layer, and let's focus on something that is very powerful, and this is GraphQL. So, basically, Apollo is a is a separate project, separate library that um, that is very different from Meteor. It's not. uh, You can use it with any technology again, any technology, and it's you don't need like a complete platform like Meteor. And we see we see it also as kind of like the future data layer for Meteor. Um, And I'll just add one small sentence into that is that Meteor was really good at real time. It's also important to say that GraphQL supports real time. um, With few different options, I won't expand too much right now, but um, you can use today GraphQL subscriptions uh, and and get real time or like push updates from the server into your client. so,
2: oh, sorry, I'm still dragging, Chuck. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about um, the difference between Relay and Apollo? And I feel like majority of people using GraphQL are using Relay. So how does yeah, that so, everything?
0: Yeah, Facebook so, built it. Why are you building it too?
1: <laughs> so basically, uh, uh, Facebook released also Relay, uh, which is a library that is used... Uh, in very specific uh, parts of uh, in the Facebook company, it's not used in Facebook.com, um, and uh, and, a lot, and and Relay is a great product. Like we we got a lot of inspiration from that, but also Relay had a lot of like got a lot of things. Um, maybe because it was like very early, uh, it got a lot of things um, not as good as it, as it sh- it could have been. So we said, okay. Let's try, you know, we've, da- we've done the Meteor data layer for a while, you know, for five years, and we learned a lot from it. Let's try to do the same ourselves. And when we started doing it, and, and see how, how it goes, what we're what we coming up with, and, um, and, and what we came up with was actually uh, a library that is much sli- simpler than Relay. Like Relay is, I don't know if you know, but the main, I think, feedback that people fr- get on Relay is that it's very hard to start. This is one thing. The second thing, it only works with React, like other uh, client-side developers, if they use Angular or Ember or Vue.js, they can't use Relay. Um, And also Relay, actually, which is weird, but Relay doesn't support the GraphQL spec as is. So you, you have to do like specific modifications to the GraphQL spec in order to work with Relay to use. Uh, pagination and all kinds of things in there. Apollo uses GraphQL as is, like you don't need to change, there's a lot of tutorials that explain to you uh, GraphQL, and then explain Relay because they say, okay, now in order to support Relay, you also need to do other things. There's no Apollo there because there's nothing to do. If you write GraphQL, you write Apollo. There's nothing you need to change in your implementation uh, or how you write your schema. Um, now, it's interesting that you said that most people use uh, Relay. It was like that when we started. But we, I, I know it's not the best metric, but uh, it's the only metric that we have, and this is NPM downloads. And we just recently, this month, passed a Relay with, uh, with Apollo Client. So this, is like the thing of Relay being more uh, popular has, has actually shifted. And it's not true anymore. Um, Also, one of the things that uh, Relay also understood it. Like we work a lot with Relay and we talk to them, and like our uh, we have conversations with the Facebook, the teams at Facebook, the different teams at Facebook, like weekly, um, and Relay understood the things they know what they did like wrong or what they can do better. So they are actually working now on Relay 2.0. The thing is that nobody knows when it's going to be out, um, and they're like developing it in closed source. They're not like showing people what they're actually doing there, um, and, and and when they talk about it in talks, you can see that the things that they improved in relay from really one to or one to improve from really one to really two, whenever it's going to be out, is things that are already existing and happening in uh, Apollo client. Like static queries and all of kinds of stuff like that. So um but I think I think so in my opinion, like it doesn't really matter. Like the more clients there are out there, the better. I think the GraphQL movement is so big right now and it's so it brings with, with it so much so many like improvements. Uh, the, the client is like the smallest thing you should care about like uh, you should just try it out I think the best thing is just to write like a very simple take an hour or two write a simple app in Apollo write a simple app in relay and compare but uh, Yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think that's really the the thing for me is you know, it's like well do I have to pick a side No. Um, does it solve my problems? I mean that's the side I'm gonna pick and, you know, in, in some cases, Relay's probably great. And in some cases, you know, there's, there's probably a trade-off the other way. But yeah. uh, the thing is, is that I, I generally, on my front end, I'm working in Angular. And so if I can't use Relay, then I'm going to use Apollo. And if I, you know, if I'm in Ember or Vue or something like that, then I'm going to use Apollo. And the fact that there's something out there that does things nicely, if Facebook wants to own that space, then they have to earn it. And that's that's the nice thing about open source in general is that if something doesn't solve somebody's problem, then somebody else can come along and solve that problem. And yeah. if if whoever originally solved the problem feels like they want to own that turf, then they've got to step up. And if, if they're happy with, look, we solved these sets of problems and we do a great job of it and we're going to focus there, then that's great too. And so, yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't see it as a competition between um apollo and relay so much is just yeah you know what solves your problems what what makes you happy to code in and, and and do that let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job you know searching for a job can feel stressful scary and time consuming pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right. You get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber.
1: The truth is there's really no competition. Like We talk weekly. We share know they're coming to our meetups and, and giving talks and we we like they know exactly what we're doing like we're completely open like to the Facebook teams like they know exactly what we're doing and what we're working on and we just like recently did the graph the graphical summit was the first uh, graphical conference and we had two talks from uh, from Facebook there so um, yeah we're walking ju- basically we're working together so
0: So how do you test GraphQL?
1: This is a great question. So it uh, depends on what side do you want to test it. Uh, the thing is that, let's say, I'll start maybe with the client side. Because So on the client side, um, th- the good thing, again, is that you have a typed API. So even before you start testing, when you have your schema, you get immediately in your IDE, whatever IDE you use, there's a lot of plugins for GraphQL, you get uh, auto-completion uh, and uh, and validation. So, for example, if you wrote your, and this is in real time while you're developing, right? Like, let's say you start writing a query and and you wrote it wrong. Then you'll get an error before even you, you, you know, you finished, like, finished your sentence. Um, so, at least you know for like even if before you started testing and you don't want to invest time in testing or you just want to hack something, you know that you're going to write the API exactly like the schema specifies. But then the interesting thing is that um, because it's a typed API, you can actually generate, you can write a very simple, and if you go to GraphQL tool, if you Google GraphQL tools, then you can see there's a function there that you just... You give it the, the schema, and it basically starts like a mocking server for you, um, and and it and it returns like auto-generated code from the schema, which looks exactly like you would expect. Like, uh, and you can you know, and you can expand it more and more. But um, but this is uh, yeah. So it means that if you don't. Uh, let's say you're a client developer and what usually happens and you you build your client and then you wait, like, I don't know how how long to the server developers to finish their things, you can actually, like, start, like, a mocking server with one line of code and get everything you want from the server. Like, you have a working server running. And when the server will finish development, it will send you the data exactly the same because it's based on the schema. Um, So testing your client side is really easy. Um... There's another also possibility actually which is which i've done I'm doing now because i'm p- doing a PR for angular i o the website uh, is to run GraphQL server on the client on the browser and then you can actually run the resolvers and what everything I've said now on your like in memory browser and that means that if you run like unit tests on your client, um, you can actually really query a, Kind of like your GraphQL server, just it sits on the client and, uh, and, and you can run those tests immediately. Uh, and on the server, basically, again, you, it's the same thing as writing your, let's say if we're talking about Node, you use the same tools as, as, as Node servers. Um, but because of the schema, you know better, you know exactly what you're going to get from the client and your resolvers are also, um, like, you need to test just the specific resolvers that you're doing. You don't need to now, you know, I don't know, let's say in REST endpoint, you get you can get something from the REST endpoint. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. Maybe the client did a mistake, sent, like, more, more, I don't know, params than it could. The GraphQL runtime actually prevents that, fro- like, absorbs that for you. So instead of now... Testing a lot of like different scenarios that that uh, the client can like do uh, the the GraphQL runtime actually like cleans it up for you and when you actually test your resolvers you know exactly what you're gonna get so it's very easy to test as specific units of resolvers.
0: All right, you had me on everything there except for how in the heck do you run the GraphQL server in the browser? That just oh, sounds I- cool. <laughs>
1: So I think I think I really I actually I wanted like to finish that PR before this show, so I could actually send it so people could go ahead and look at it but um, I basically uh, if there's angular developers out there, then I basically took the tour of heroes um, tutorial, which is the main tutorial on angular i o and in that tutorial, they're running an in-memory REST endpoint. So I basically did the same. Oh, okay. Just with GraphQL. The hard thing for me was actually to make that uh, GraphQL server. and I used like Apollo uh, GraphQL tools, the library from Apollo, uh, which because it's Node and uh, JavaScript, it works both on the client and on the server. Um, but the hard thing for me was actually to compile the GraphQL tools through AOT compiler of Angular and through Rollup.
0: Ah uh, yes.
1: Is, uh, very, very hard, but I'm I'm happy to say that like today I've solved this thing. So finally. So the PR is coming soon.
0: Well I'll look forward to it. Um so do you have any success stories with GraphQL? Because it's one thing to hear all the theoretical mm-hmm hey, you know, use GraphQL because it'll make your life better and and you'll have (laughs) unicorns in your office and it'll be wonderful. Um, But it's another thing to hear about a company that, you know, switched over from REST or, you know, somehow implemented implemented GraphQL on their system, on a new system or an existing system and found some benefits. Do you have stories like that that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean the 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 best story i think is actually the from facebook like the actually the facebook story and why they created graphql um and the how graphql started basically is that in 2011 like facebook had to you know they had like maybe now nobody remembers google plus but back then it was like a real threat on facebook and and facebook had to you know come up with like mobile apps like normal Working mobile apps really fast. The problem is that there were a few problems, but now the main main problem was that they had an existing servers that that worked with like very old APIs. Um, so what they needed to do is actually they could they didn't have time to rewrite the servers, right? They need to get out those um, uh, like those clients uh, the new APIs really fast, and that's when they invented GraphQL. So basically they Use GraphQL in order to use their existing old infrastructure, but to um, to mirror that and to actually make uh, a normal modern API uh, for the clients. And like everyone knows that now, you know, the the Facebook first native mobile app was like a huge success, and you know the rest is history. But I think. For me, actually coming from like the node world and from like like Meteor, it's a great lesson because it means that now, like when you come to a comp- you work in a company with existing um, existing infrastructure and you want to modernize that infrastructure, the the first thing you say is like, okay, let's rewrite everything, right? Like we have an old I don't know IBM WebSphere or we have uh, I don't know like old Java backend or whatever, and I think this is what GraphQL is showing us is actually it's a new technology, but it basically says, no, you have an existing data, like data provider, you have an existing server that exists and works, don't change it. Put GraphQL on top of it, and, and then if you want later on, you can, you can change it, but there's no reason to. Like use your exist. you have the ability to use your existing assets, and move fast, build new apps, build new um uh, build new things so so I think the the actually the story of how facebook came came to be is a very interesting story that shows the real power of GraphQL. like if you're i know you're develop for a, you're a developer for a bank and you have i don't know you know existing mainframes and you know really old like IBM web spheres and things like that. Uh, and you don 't have the money or the time to rewrite those, like GraphqL is I think the best solution to um, you know to put in there in order to um, uh, in order to to modernize your business for example uh, without rewriting everything and I think this is why also you see um, like a lot of companies that are not just like startup companies that started from you, but like existing companies doing that transition and you know, the second maybe best story or use case is is GitHub, right? Like GitHub is like they're using GraphQL internally. And just recently they announced that actually all of their public API is also going to be uh GraphQL. Like they're still going to support REST, but um it's going to be GraphQL. So it looks like, and there's like a huge list in, I know, graphql.org, for example, of like financial institutions and like a lot of companies that for me, the best and the most interesting thing to see there is not, it's not just like cool startups or like cool, like products that use, um, you know, like the newest technologies. It's existing businesses that were able to, you know, use new front-end technologies, for example, or to, or to use new uh, new APIs and stay with their existing data um, infrastructure. So,
2: it was my understanding from reading an article about it that like GitHub did that um, in part so that they could have the same API um, for the public and private information uh, and they wouldn't have to have maintain two separate ones anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the GitHub story is that they used it internally because it was good for them, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and then they say, well, it's good for us, then why should we, you know, why should we, uh, why can't it be good for other developers? And I think, actually, that the transition from GitHub is great because now anyone, like, uh, querying GitHub is probably... I, I, there's most tutorials out there probably for developers is querying you know, the GitHub API. And I think the best thing you could do is actually compare. Go to the you know, GitHub REST API and GitHub GraphQL MPI and just start hacking. And I think that's the best example out there for, you, you instantly you get the difference. You know, you don't need to read the documentation, you don't need to do anything, you just pop up like a graphical editor and start hacking around and you'll get query that information. So um, I think the, the GitHub like, story is amazing. Like it was good for them internally, but then also there was a lot of questions in the like, debate inside the GraphQL uh, ecosystem. Like is GraphQL also good for public APIs? Like it's definitely good for internal APIs, but when we want to expose like APIs for third-party libraries, is that good? And I think GitHub pushed the envelope there a lot. There was, like there was a great talk in GraphQL Summit from one of the GitHub engineers about it. Like, uh, yeah, GitHub did a really amazing job.
0: Well, and the thing that gets me excited about that is that most of the time when somebody says, "Oh, go try out this new kind of API," and they they point me to some like Star Wars database or something, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, but you know, the data is not very deep, and the results really aren't that interesting. And then, you know, if GitHub's going to do it, then it's like, oh well. I kind of know what all the stuff is there, and I can build myself a little app with data that I actually care about—that's mm-hmm. a real-world, real business application that that I can test against.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, yeah, like we created uh, like uh, most of our examples in Apollo. Uh, if you just go mm-hmm. to the website, then they're based on, do you have like an example that's called Githunt, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like a product hunt for GitHub repositories. <laughs> but the interesting thing here is that you query, uh, you have one schema, but parts of those schema query the GitHub API, uh, and parts of those schema are querying your own database. And for the client, it's like the same schema, so, um, the fact that we were able to, you know, to query GitHub with their GraphQL API like really inspired us, and I think, you know, did great for the community. Like it's, uh, you know, when GitHub turns into like started to use a, a solution that you use, there's, it's always good. <laughs> like it's, uh,
0: yeah. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and move into picks. Uh Before we do that, though, is there a place where people can follow up on this stuff or check out what you're working on?
1: Uh, yeah, so I think the main, the best, thing, like I don't know if you, everyone who used to check out like GraphQL like a few months ago or a year ago, and like we just googled around now, there's a new website for graphql.org. It's like a new website. It's really really impressive, and there's basically everything there. Um, and and I the other thing that I think I would uh, I would recommend to check out is Apolodata.com. It's like we have their all of the tools that you can, if you want to actually start writing like tools, clients or servers, you can actually start writing there. There's tutorials and everything you need. So it's Apolodata.com.
0: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. Engineers have watched over 2 million hours of Frontend Masters videos to upgrade their skills in the latest best practices in Frontend Development and Node.js. Popular video courses of theirs include courses on Advanced JavaScript, Angular 2, React, API design with Node, and Functional and Asynchronous JavaScript. Many of their teachers have even been guests on JavaScript Jabber. Check them out at frontendmasters.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Amy, do you have some picks for us?
2: I do. So the first one is something that I believe I found, I don't know, I found it this weekend. I haven't had a chance to dig into it yet, but it looks pretty good, and... Uh, A couple of people tweeted at me that they already did look into it. It was really good. But it's um, Crypto 101. So um, I don't know. This is something that I haven't really dug into very much and it looks very approachable. So that is going to be my pick for this week. I had another one ready, but you called on me so soon and I can't find the link. So I guess I will save it for next week and this will be my only one for this week.
0: You can share it and I can find the link. (laughs)
2: Uh, So... Mm, I'm
0: just gonna save it for next week <laughs> okay sounds good um i'm gonna jump in here with a couple of picks uh the first one is I went with my wife and we saw Rogue One, which is the new star wars movie and that was that was it was good it was a good movie um I don't know, like episode four episode five, and episode six. I watched those growing up, and I kind of have these moments of nostalgia watching them I guess but uh anyway um I really did enjoy the movie. It's just not, um, you know, it's not the same for me, I guess. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I did enjoy the movie. It was, I thought it was, it was a well-put-together movie. So I'm going to pick that. And then um, I found a link. Um, I didn't find a link. Somebody sent me a link. Uh, one of our listeners from um, Adventures in Angular, because we razz Wart Bell about Star Wars, um, and it's the power consumption for the Death Star and how much it would cost to power the Death Star. And it was really, really interesting. So um, anyway, if you're interested in that, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And yeah, those are my picks. Uri, what are your picks?
1: Um, so I, ha- I have one pick. Uh, I actually I follow everything uh, that Tim Ferriss is doing. I don't know. It's for those of you who doesn't know, Tim Ferriss is the person that wrote the 4-Hour Walk Week book which I think is amazing. It's basically a way to, in my mind, a way to how do you work without, you know, uh, without wasting your time on stuff that you don't want to waste time on. Like doing the exact minimum and the most important things in order to get everything done. So it's very, very interesting. Um, And he just released a new book. Uh, It's called Tools of Titans. And I just started reading, like, two chapters of it and it's it's really amazing so I think uh, everyone should read that <laughs> it's a really good book
0: that one's I'm getting really... a lot of recommendations in my circles so oh, <laughs> I'll have to sure. check it out <laughs> yeah. alright well thank you Uri this was a lot of fun and um, I think it was nice to get a little bit deeper I think on GraphQL than we got last time so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah thank you for having me it was a great pleasure
0: all right, well, we'll wrap this one up, and we'll catch you all next week. Bye. 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 Hope you feel Bye. better, Chuck. Me too. <laughs>